That's good. All right. Hey, everybody, welcome to Vintage 242 Church. I am Steve Hambrick. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're glad that you were here. Hey, this is the, the first service. I want to say it again here. Um, you know, we have lots of areas people volunteer at Vintage, and one of those areas of, of volunteering is, is our worship team. And uh, so I know that you come here every Sunday and you get to hear them, but the idea is they're giving of themselves during the week. They are coming early on, sun, on Sunday morning. So I encourage you, if you get a chance sometime in the near future, just get, say thank you, right? Give, give, them a, give them a fist pump. I don't care what you do. Just give them something and say thank you for the service also for our AV back here, audio and visual. There's Timothy back here. We have, we have, we have Mark Freeman Hayden's back here. It's like the math. Uh, yeah, contingent who just kind of holds that fort down for us. And so, again, it's one of those things. A lot of times when we're, these are people who are volunteering. And the, fun, the thing is this. You like, you like to come on Sunday and just receive, right? You like to come and, and kind of disconnect sometimes and worship and just kind of heck with the Lord. But they're connected the entire time. Right. They're kind of the entire time. They're aware. It's like you think they're up here flowing, but they're like really aware of one another, trying to figure out how they're flowing. Have you ever led worship on a worship team ever in life? You've done that. I've done that for a season. Did you know that? I led worship for a season with the worship team on a guitar singing. You probably didn't know that, right? But I remember sitting there sweating like, don't mess up the note. Jesus, I love you. Don't mess up the note, right? It's just that dynamic. going down. They would never do that because they're so great. But the idea is there's still this, this connectedness, right? And so I encourage you again, we look at people who are volunteering, that you are encouraging them. You're speaking life into them, right, just so that they can know and be encouraged uh, by us and that we are thankful what they do. All right. Hey, listen, let's, um, this, this morning, we kind of tell you the plan. Uh, we're going to dive into just, we're going to dive in first and just kind of follow up from some things that, that Timothy talked about last week, right? There's this, 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 this the scripture we looked at from Ephesians chapter, uh, one, verse 15 through 23. And as we, as Timothy dove into that, it gave us some great ideas and some great thoughts. So there's some things that have been stirring in me this week that I want to follow up with you about. And then I'm going to shift gears and I'm going to look at a character maybe you don't necessarily look at in Scripture, but someone who, in my opinion, really pleased the heart of the Lord, right? Someone who, who maybe you don't necessarily look at, but who honestly kind of fulfills this first part that we're going to be looking at here from Ephesians chapter 1, verse uh, 15 and uh, 23. Okay, so let's dive in this morning. Last week, Timothy, he gazed what I would say is the true nature and form of who the church as the people of God are designed to be. Right. I believe he took a picture, kind of painted a picture for us of, of who the church is supposed to be, who they're designed to be. He said he painted an alternate picture. The first picture he, picked, he painted was a, a, a picture of who, to be honest, how we primarily look at an engaged church, but it's a false view of church. He said, most of us probably view church as a place with programs and professionals who lead that, right? It's a place, it's a four walls, it's the place that we go to. It's why we, we, we think of, we think of church as noun, as place. I'm going to church, right? And so he says we go, we have this place. And in that place, there are lots of voices of people who say what they want and what they think professionals should offer them. So they create programs. How many of you know people have gone to someone and say, listen, I want my children to be taken care of. What are you going to do for them? 
right? I want to come to your church, but tell me about your children's program, right? Tell me about your youth program. Tell me about your small group discipleship. And what they're doing is they're creating this picture of a place that has programs that make them satisfied that will go ahead and quantify why or qualify why they'll come. And they want professionals to make that happen for them. Painting this picture of church as place and programs and professionals that do it with excellence so it's not distracting to you so you can really just flow with Jesus. Instead of an action verb of people in action, in movements, who are loving God with everything they have in them and who are loving their neighbor with everything that they have in them. Listen, I recognize when when we planted vintage, I felt like God spoke this into me as it related to to who we are as a people, especially in the South, who have probably been over-churched, if we're completely honest. Over-churched. We probably spent more time in church in our lifetime than actually reading our Bible and praying to Jesus sometimes, right? We've been over-churched. We go to a building. We, we've been conditioned to think this is what church is supposed to be, place, programs, and people. But, but the idea and what like God spoke into it was simply this. And since you one of the greatest things, listen, the greatest things, and this is going to offend some of you, so I, I, I just want you to know in advance I'm going to offend you, that, that when people step in, Steve, The greatest thing that you're going to wrestle with is the greatest experience they've had of church in the past and their desire to have you reinvent that for them. You see what I'm talking about. You've had this great experience of God. It's defined now what you think church should be. And so you step in. And when you speak to people, it's the idea of you wanting to reinvent something that happened. Why? Because it was such a beautiful moment in your past. You think that's what church should be. But Jesus said, and Scripture says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? It springs up like water in the wastelands for you to drink it's living water for today it's not yesterday's manna it's today's bread of life for today and so there's this whole idea that the way that we view church and the way that we connect with church and the way we think church should be is we've created this place where consumers come and they consume at a place with programs and professionals who put it on for them and Timothy did a great job, in my opinion, just laying out for us who the true people of God are. He named them as the community of whatever it was, right? The community of this, the community of that. He named these, listen, and the idea is this, that we as a, we are a holistic community, a holistic family, I mean whole, that we all represent a whole, Right? We all represent a whole, W-H-O-L-E. We are the whole of the people of God. We are are people who are called to love God as a whole, who are called to know God and pursue God as a whole, a people, literally a holistic community of those who love and live in relationship with Jesus and who love and who live in relationship with one another. 
And so I encourage you, if you did not hear Timothy's message last week, then I want you to go to Vintage242.com, go into resources, and listen to his message. If you heard it last week and it didn't wreck you, I encourage you to go back and listen to it over and over and over again. Why? Because I believe what God gave Timothy last week is a picture of who the church is, who God is shaping the church to realize and be awakened to who they actually are. It's a message for us about who we're supposed to be and pulling away from this place with programs and paid professionals. But recognizing each of us who make up part of the whole have an equal voice, an equal ownership of loving God, loving one another, and loving our neighbors outside of our four walls. And this is what God is stirring and stirring and stirring in us. And I've taken this scripture from Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 23 this week, and I've just been praying it. It's called the apostolic prayer of Paul. Paul the apostle, he's praying it, right? This apostolic, wonderful, powerful prayer. I believe it's the heart of God for, for the people of God. And, he's, and Paul is praying it for us. It's overwhelming. It's powerful. And I have to confess that each time I read through, I get stuck. I get stuck and I get stopped on verse 17 every time. And I find myself landing and staying and listening to the, to the voice of Paul from past generations, continually praying at the heart of God that's still relevant for today. I encourage you, I'm going to read this prayer. This prayer, I want, you just to, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to hear it, right? I want you to actually hear it with your, with your spiritual ears, not just your physical ears, right? I want you to listen. Just close your eyes. Don't put it on the screen, Hayden. Just listen. Listen to this verse. It says this, Paul praying is, I keep asking. I keep asking, right? I do not see, I do not stop ceasing asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that you may know him better. I keep asking. I do not stop ceasing again and again and again and again. I'm praying day in, day out, morning and night that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, our glorious Father, that he may give you as a gift the spirit, a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation so that you can know him better, that you can know him fully as you can know him on earth. Beautiful. You can look up now. Beautiful picture. Do you hear the heart cry of, a, of the apostolic father, Paul, right? I remember the NIV. I encourage you to read the different versions, the ESV and the NASB and all the other, all the other V's and the V's and the N's, whatever, right? Read because it gives this beautiful picture of Paul who says, I will not stop ceasing. I do not stop ceasing the ESV, praying for this breakthrough, praying for revelation, right? This knowledge, praying for knowledge. Why? Because he knows that each of us by nature as human beings are prone in our relationships to stop giving ourselves to those relationships and stop growing in knowledge. 
Listen, if you go to a marriage seminar, somewhere along the way, they're going to look, they're going to look at the men and say, men, you have to start dating your wife again, right? You have to start pursuing your wife because you have to get to know her all over again. Why? Because she is wonderful and she is beautiful and she's multi-layered and there are so many different things you need to give yourself to in knowing her, right? But so often in our relationships and unfortunately in so many times in our marriages, we stop having marriages and and stop having uh, these partners in, in life and start just having roommates who cross and their paths cross, but they've stopped pursuing one another. There's no mutual pursuit in relationship. There's no engagement of actually learning and knowing and asking questions. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. There's this multi-layered nature of, of knowing. Listen, listen, a lot of you in this room know my wife, right? You know about her and you see her and you say that she's very strong and, and all these things. But let me tell you, behind closed doors, I see a part that you never see. I see her vulnerability. I see those moments of her being overwhelmed. Like you see people you're close to, right? You see, I see pieces of her that you will never Never be privy to. Because, and I watch as she, as she, as she, this parents are children, as she talks to all of you on the phone, and I see the, the weight that she carries because of the burden of loving each of you in this room. I see this thing. She carries lots and lots and lots of your weight, right? You may carry one person. She carries all of your weight alongside of me. We're partners in ministry here. She's carrying the weight of vintage, and I see it, and I know it, and you never do. And I'm watching because I know her. I'm seeing, I'm engaging, and I'm watching and seeing these parts about her that are overwhelming, that I'm humbled by in the moment. I learn from her every day. You know why? Because she's better at a lot of things than I ever will be. And if I can't learn from her, then I'm arrogant and I'm a crappy husband. But the reality is it's the same nature for our relationship with Jesus. It's the humility of recognizing that I need to continually be learning. I continually need to be knowing him and growing in my knowledge of Jesus. This is what the word know means here. In this verse in the Greek, it literally means a deep, a rich, a full, and an experiential knowledge. As if I'm experiencing that person, right? That I have an intimate acquaintance with that person. I don't just know about them, but I'm intimately acquainted, knowing the heart, right? Like I know Randall, I see her on so many different levels. I know her. I'm experientially engaged with her. I'm personally acquainted, not knowing about, but knowing intimately, knowing experientially and living in that connection. And Paul is praying because he recognizes that every single one of us in this room and every single one of the people in the churches he was a part of, They all knew Jesus. They'd all had an experience of Jesus. But he also knew human nature was to pull away, be self-absorbed, self-focused, and only see self and disconnect from Jesus and tell stories about yesterday but no knowledge of today. And he's crying out and he's praying, right? He does not stop ceasing. He keeps 
asking again and again that God would move in them, that God, that God would move in them to, to grow them in their knowledge of him by growing them in wisdom and growing them through, listen, through interrupting revelation of God, interrupting revelation of God, revealing himself to them. This nature of wisdom, right, it represents applied knowledge, applied knowledge, knowing how to utilize our knowledge of Jesus and apply it to victorious living. It's not, I know him, but I'm asking for wisdom. How do I apply this knowledge to, to engage every part of my life so it ultimately leads to victorious living, fulfilling my calling, fulfilling this purpose that you have for me to, to keep in step with your spirit? Basically saying, God, I know you, but I need wisdom. How do I live out my life? How do I function? Yes, in my primary relationships with my spouse, with my kids. How many of you need wisdom? and raising your children, right? How many of you need wisdom, men and women, at your job because your boss has put something in front of you that you don't really know how to do? It's kind of above your pay grade, but they're expecting you to do it, and you need wisdom. And tomorrow you're going to sit in their office and go, ah, and present something. How many of you would love wisdom in your job so that people go, how did you know that? And you look at them and say, well, I prayed for the spirit of wisdom from God, and he gave it. How do you like that? apples. Boom. What a testimony of speaking about the goodness of God. How many of you live in expectation in every area to pray and cry out to God for a spirit of wisdom in everything that you're invested in, right? Paul's crying out for this for the relationship of Jesus and everything else. He's praying for a spirit of revelation, a revelation, revelation, it's interrupting, right? It's something that is revealed to us, right, in the name, something that God opens up for us, right? So I'm looking right here, and you're like, where are all the people? I go, look inside. There are all the people. Revelation, oh, my gosh. Kids are like, that's so fascinating. Look inside, right? Here's the church. Here's the people. Where are all the people? I don't know. Where are they? They're right here, right? Oh, my gosh. Revelation moment, right? There's this moment of this thing being revealed. I mean, that's silly, but you know, I'm getting at it. It's like oh, the first time your kids go, oh, my gosh, where did they come from? It's like, right. It's just amazing. It's a gift from God. Praise Jesus. Right. But there's this whole revelation that in life, God continually is moving, willing and desiring to reveal things about himself that we've never known before. Things that make us go, oh, and look at him. That's the interrupting nature of revelation that we're walking through life. Boom. Oh, Jesus. Right. And I stop. Why? Because he's revealed something to me. Why? Because he wants us to know him fully. A little secret maybe into eternity for you. Maybe I've shared this before. But we say fully. What we mean is fully as much as we have learned up to this point. Right. Because here's the nature. Because we are human beings and we're not God, we will literally spend eternity in the process of learning. We will never know everything when we get to heaven. We will live. We will go to heaven. Right. We'll spend eternity with God learning day in and day out. All the day long. Why? Because God's inexhaustible, right? So you're continually learning every day. Going, oh, 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 Jesus, right? You're being revealed to this new nature, the new parts of who He is all day long, right? So when we say knowing God fully. What I mean is this: I take a balloon, and I take that balloon. And I go. Guess what? It's about that big and 100% full of air. I take it again. 
blows up, blows up. The reality for us, knowing God fully means every day he blows and our balloon just never pops and just continues to grow day in, day out, day in, day out, and knowing him fully, inexhaustible, God is. We're continually engaging him, learning from him, learning all about him, blowing into us, having a full knowledge that we can handle at that point. But we'll learn even more tomorrow and then we'll be fully again. And he's crying out and praying for this. Paul, crying out, God, I'm praying that you would give them the spirit of wisdom to live victorious in every area of their life and know in knowing you, right? That they would have revelation, boom, awakening again and again and again and again to the who Jesus is. Timothy said last week that the people who embrace this prayer for themselves... Those of us who come together, right, who, who pray, who embrace this prayer for themselves, they are a community of priority, right? As a people, God's calling us to, to link together as community, as family, right, who have made knowing Jesus and growing in wisdom and asking for God's interrupting revelation a priority for our life as a whole. Could you imagine what would happen if all of a sudden every single one of us with every fiber of our being with every bit of urgency and zeal inside of us began to pray this prayer every day for every person sitting next to us, for all of our neighbors, and then third, praying lastly for ourselves in humility, asking God to awaken us. What if we prayed it and believed it and expected God to move with wisdom and revelation in every area of life? What do you think would happen? It'd be amazing right? There is unbelievable breakthrough. And Paul, why? Because he believes it to be. And all of a sudden, we would be a community of people who have made the priority of knowing God the priority of our life. That's what it means to be a community of priority. That's what Timothy was getting at last week. Go and listen to his message. He said it much better than I am. This community of priority, making the priority of knowing God, of connecting with God, loving neighbor, the ultimate priority of our life. And as we do that, we become a community moving forward together, right? Who are inside the four walls and outside the four walls and up on top of the four walls, underneath the four walls, loving Jesus and giving everything that we have. And he's praying for this. For me this week, this verse is reverberating, right? Reverberating through history. I hear, the, I hear the echoes of a man, Paul, who himself had experienced the depth of Jesus, a revelation. Remember the road to Damascus, a donkey knocking off experience, right? Boom, Jesus, right? He experienced this depth of Jesus and he longed. Only as spirits, only as parents can long for children. Paul longing for his children here in, 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 a, in Ephesus, right? His spiritual children longing for them to have this knowledge, right? And he felt compelled to pray without ceasing again and again and again that they would be continually awakened to the wisdom of God and the revelation of God and they would fully know him. This week I felt the weight of this prayer. I've been praying it for you. And to be honest with you, I've been praying it for myself. God, I long for revelation. I long for full knowledge of you. Jesus, I long for you. This is the heartbeat. This is, 
This is the heartbeat of Paul, and I believe it's the heartbeat, the heartbeat of God echoing through Paul that echoes to us today. Reverberating through history. Do we feel it? Do we connect with it? One person in Scripture who, there's a lot of people in Scripture I think modeled this to a degree or experienced it to a degree, but one person I think that maybe, maybe experienced it on a, a great level that we never think about, that I want to speak about this morning, is a woman named Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany. If you know anything about Mary of Bethany, she was the, she was the sister of Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus was a guy who died. Jesus raised from the dead. It's a pretty cool experience, right? So she experienced this, but but she was the the sister of Lazarus. And there are three specific stories. That's one of them, the the raising of Lazarus. We see here. But the other two, the other two, I'm going to share both of them with you and read one of them specifically. One of them, probably familiar to a lot of you. Mary of Bethany, she, uh, she's at home with, with, with Martha, her sister. She's at home with Lazarus, her brother. And Jesus comes into the town. He comes to their house. He's friends with them. It's a safe place for him to go. He brings his disciples in. And, 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 they, and everybody knows what happens in this culture. In the culture, when all the men come in, they come into the room. At a point where it's time for the women to leave because the men are only allowed in there, right? So Martha, she gets up with Mary and begins to walk off. And Martha walks to the kitchen and Mary makes a beeline and sits right at the feet of Jesus. Cultural no-no. Very taboo. Every man in that room was going, what is she doing? Tell her to get up. And so Martha, who really is a good sister, right? She's in there. She has this tension in the kitchen, and her, and her tension is twofold. One, Mary needs to be helping me, right? But the second reason, and this is, and this is, my, this is my opinion. Okay? I'm kind of reading this in here. But I think she's a good sister saying, Mary's going to be talked about in there. This is very taboo. She's like, Jesus, Jesus, tell, tell Mary to come in here, right? Trying to save her from, from being embarrassed and ridiculed in the moment, right? Tell Mary to come in here and help me in the kitchen, Right. And Mary and Jesus just looks at Martha with great compassion, says, Martha, Martha, mm -mm -mm. you are anxious. You're so anxious and worried about many things. But only one thing is required. Mary has chosen the best. And it would not be taken from her. What was she doing? She was sitting at the feet of. Of Jesus, longing for wisdom, longing for revelation, longing to fully know him. And now he's told her story throughout generations and generations because he celebrates her life because there's something that she grasped. There was something that she understood that that Martha didn't get. And I guarantee you, none of the other disciples sitting there understood fully. She had a unique interaction and relationship with Jesus, in my opinion, she had a knowledge and a revelation of Jesus that really no one else and maybe in all of Scripture fully grasped. A level of intimacy and a knowledge of, of Jesus' love for her. The second story I encourage you to have your Bibles to turn there is Matthew 26. Matthew 26. I'm going to read a, a story that may be familiar to you. And, and I'm going to try to put some pieces together because there are three stories like this in Scripture. Actually, there's four stories like this in Scripture. Matthew 26, starting in verse uh, 6, going to verse 13. I'll read the story, and then I'll kind of give you a little bit of background just so we can make sure we're on the same page. It says this, While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man named, known as Simon the leper, 
A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I'll tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Do you see again this reverberation down through history? Again, another story of Mary just kind of being a little bit by Jesus putting on a pedestal, right? A pedestal of a model for us. Basically what I would say in the stories of, of Mary, she's basically batting a thousand, right? She's, she, she's, your, she's basically your lead off person, your cleanup hitter all in one, right? She's batting a thousand. Her, her expression of her relationship with Jesus, man, it's honoring to Jesus. He, he celebrates it, right? It is wonderful, right? And so in that there's something that we should learn, something that, that should be challenging to us. What about the life of Mary separated her from the very men that he spent all of his waking hours with every day of his life in the three years of his ministry. What's going on in the life of Mary? So let me just kind of press pause real quick and kind of give you just a background. There are four stories in Scripture, okay? And, and, and I would say this, I'm, and there's lots of different connections and, uh, and, and uh, interpretations of all these, but where I'm going to land on this, where I'm going to land is this. I believe that there are only two stories, and only two stories ultimately in Scriptures dealing with perfume being broken over, over Jesus. One of them was by a, a sinful woman. In Galilee, I think it's pretty sure it's Galilee, right? At a, the home of a Pharisee. That's story one over here. That's not this story, okay? That's not this story. That's another woman in, in, in just in her sin and probably Jesus having come alongside of her and touched her in a holy way of bringing healing, bringing restoration, doing something for her. She just wanted to honor him. And she just, just again, went against tab, the taboo of the day, against cultural tradition. And she stepped into this home. People were probably aghast and mouth agape. And this sinful woman just loved on her in the moment, right? Loved on him in the moment. It's a powerful moment. The second story would be the story that we find in both here in Matthew 26, again in John 12, and Mark 14. Mark 14 and Matthew 26 are very similar. John just has a, he gives more description along the way. Okay? Gives more description along the way uh, of this, but they're all unique, but they're all telling, in my opinion, the exact same story. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. The story of Mary, of Bethany, Martha, and Lazarus and Simon the leper. Because what happens in this, and just kind of, again, kind of breaking some of this down, what's happening in the story, number one, is there is a meal here to honor Jesus. John tells us that. There's a meal in honor of Jesus, okay? They want to, there's this, this group, it's, and you'll see in a second, this group who wants to honor him for who he is and honor him for what he's done, okay? We've, we've seen those. We've, have you ever been to some of those? You want to honor someone, whether it's a birthday or someone who's done something great, you go to, a, to something on their behalf to honor them for who they are. Are, okay, that's what's happened here. They're a meal to honor Jesus. Pretty cool. It's literally happened right after the resurrection of, Jesus, of Lazarus. Excuse me. Immediately following the resurrection of Lazarus, they have this, have this meal. Okay, probably about a week or eight days later. It's being ha- held in the town of Bethany. 
not at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, although they're there. It's being held at the house of a man named Simon the leper. What a terrible, what an unfortunate name to be stuck with, right? Here's the deal. He's called Simon the leper because at some point in his life, he had leprosy. And we all know what leprosy is, right? It's a massive, a terrible, terrible skin disease. I've seen people with leprosy in foreign countries and time. All of their, uh, all their digits and nose and ears begin to fall off. They just begin to deteriorate their skin. It's just, it's, a, it's horrendous, right? So you know, again, it's in biblical tradition that anyone who was a leper, they were basically kicked out of the neighborhood, right? And to live on the fringes of society, they were outcasts, Okay. So the nature of them, him being back in his home and having guests means that he had experienced healing. Something had happened of healing in his life. So he's now able to have people back into his home. And so, so, so you have Simon the leper, right, having received healing and he's, and he's bringing guests back into the home. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I have read a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of, of commentaries. I've, I, read a, uh, uh, I, read a, I read a sermon from John Piper to make sure I wasn't making any errors in this. I, read, I just read all these different things. I was, I was like, I want to make sure I'm getting this picture clear for people on what's happening here with this. And so what I've come to is this. There's lots of opinions, and you're having to read between the lines. And there's so some theories out there. So I'm going to share a theory with you that you're not going to go now preach this gospel truth. But maybe it's a, a possibility of the experience here, okay, with this woman, Mary, and her friends. Y'all cool with that? I'm just going to give you a, a scenario to take into account. I, it, there's, a, there's a high level of, of possibility that's fairly accurate in this, okay? I want you to know that. I'm just sharing it out there and just putting out there as opinion, kind of as theory. But I want you to see that there's some things happening here pretty dynamic. So, so what, I, what I'm going to say to you this morning is this. So Simon the leper has been healed. I believe he was probably healed by Jesus, okay? He's the healer. He's the one who came through doing this. There weren't physicians healing leprosy in the day. I think that he was healed by Jesus. And, of course, we all know Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. And they all live in the same town. And I think they all came and said, wow. You got, man, you don't have leprosy anymore. You're back in your house. We celebrate that. Way to go, Jesus. Lazarus got raised from the dead, and everybody in the whole town is freaked out about it. And coming to the house, John 12 says that everyone came to the house to gawk at the dead man raised in Lazarus, right? So they're like, let's throw a party in his honor. And so Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Simon the and probably other people, maybe part of Simon's family, threw this party in honor of Jesus, okay? And, and Scripture tells us right here, it says that, that there was this, this perfume. It's like an ointment, okay? It's like a perfume, an ointment, like an oil has viscosity to it, right? And so they went and bought this. We're going to look at it in a few minutes, and they bought it because it has great, great value. Or possibly someone already had it and said, hey, I have this as a family heirloom that's been passed down. They said, let's give this to Jesus to honor him, something of great value, right? So they sat there, again, just kind of reading from the line, and they probably said, who can we get to present it to Jesus? Well, let's be honest. Jesus has a pretty cool relationship with Mary, right? She just loves him. Like, we all love him, but she loves Jesus. There's this, I mean, remember that time when the whole thing at the house, Martha's like, oh, I can't forget that time. I got really embarrassed, but that was great, right? Yeah, she, she chose the one thing. I think we should get Mary to present this, our gift, our gift to Jesus. Like, great idea. 
So they're in their house doing their thing, get everything prepared. Have you ever held a party, had everything prepared, right? And all of a sudden the door knocks, there's a knock on the door. And here are Jesus and the disciples. They come walking in the door. They go into the room, right? They go into the room. And this time Mary walks off like she's supposed to. And then she walks back in. Everybody's looking at her and carrying this jar. And she takes it. And she breaks it open. And everyone's looking. And Martha and Lazarus and Simon are just sitting there smiling. This is a beautiful moment, right? This is a beautiful, they're celebrating the moment. And the disciples are like, what are they doing? What are they doing? No, 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 no. No, we could use that for the poor, right? Scripture doesn't John that it was last, excuse me, it was uh, Judas who said something. But Matthew's really clear that Judas was really just the spokesperson for all the other disciples who were thinking the exact same thing, right? They were all indignant. This could have been sold. And there's this moment, this interaction, there's this thing that goes down between Mary and Jesus that's overwhelming. It's powerful to the point where, where Jesus says, listen, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. What I would say is this, Mary, probably along with all of, of Simon and, and, and Simon the leper and, and Lazarus and Martha, they had a unique through revelation, they had a, through the revelation of Jesus' power in their life, they had a unique and wonderful and new knowledge of who Jesus was. You know when Jesus does, does something in your life, a breakthrough and of healing, and it's like it just awakens this new affection for him, this new connection, this like new knowledge of who he is, of being faithful and being Lord. They're having this moment. Yes, we've experienced with wisdom what, with, and revelation this new knowledge of Jesus, and we can't help. And the disciples are over here, and guess what? They haven't had that same interaction. And what we see in Mary, we see these two things, I think, that go. Now, we'll look at more next week. But these two things I want to look at this week that, that happened in their hearts, expressed in the life of Mary. The first thing we see is the perfume. The perfume. I've already named it. I've already talked about it a little bit, right? But the perfume, listen, it represents, and hear this. If you've checked out, check back in. The perfume that they brought, the perfume represents the best that they have to offer Jesus. It's the best that they have to offer Jesus. Listen, people would take these these expensive alabaster bottles, right? They were semi-transparent. They resembled marble. They would store their ointments, their their perfume, right? Kind of like an oily perfume you you would put on their head, right? And they they would take it and they they would seal it up. They would seal it up so it wouldn't evaporate. But the idea was once they opened it, it could only be, had to be used in that moment because it would evaporate. So the idea was, we'll take this costly, right, costly, worth one year's wages, right? It was one year's wages, unbelievably costly. It was a treasure to anyone who had it. They would protect it. They would guard it. It was basically a system like a life savings for them, right? And so they would be here in this moment, and they would, and all of a sudden Mary came out, and they're like, oh, that's so beautiful, and I don't know if there was the plan all along, or I don't know if it was a spur-of-the-moment thing, but Mary came out and broke it. $50,000 would take the median income of the United States as of 2012. $50,000 thing of, of, of ointment, of perfume. And she said, the best thing I can think to do is to offer Jesus the best of what we have and pour it onto his head. 
Listen, this was not unprecedented in the day and age. And in their, in their tradition, it was understood in certain moments to honor someone. That you would take oil and break it over their head as an anointing, right, to, to honor them. This was, not, this was not unheard of. This was not a unique experience, okay? But it was something that was known in their culture you would do. And they came out and did it. And I, I want to hope that, Mary, that Martha and Lazarus and Simon were just celebrating like, yes, this we want to honor him with our best, the best that we have. The best that we have. Their wisdom of who Jesus was through the revelation of his power caused them to respond with the very best that they had. A priceless gift. Something of great value. Something that was worthy of Jesus. See, there's nothing worse either in their lives or in our own lives than dying, having, having never spent our greatest and most valuable resources on Jesus. With our time and our money and our energy and our resources, there's something wasteful about never spending all of our best on Jesus. Do you see that? There's something wasteful in never giving our best to him, of giving him the best of who we are as a sacrifice, right? To honor who he is and ultimately what he's done in our lives, right? There's nothing worse than having, having been dying, having never spent our greatest and most valuable resources on him. This is, this is the gift of Mary. This is the gift of, of, of Martha and Lazarus and Simon the leper, right? They wanted to give their best. They didn't want to, they want to keep it for themselves. But they wanted to give it away. I would say this giving of our best, it is a true sign of those who have wisdom and revelation of who Jesus is. Giving of our best to him. Second thing we see is the the literal act of Mary, the literal act of Mary. Like we said before, she may have more than likely she was she was chosen to do this by those who were around her. But it wasn't the act itself of doing it that moved the heart of Jesus, right? There was something flowing from her heart that so touched the heart of God that he made sure that everyone throughout generation to generation echoing would echo this movement of, of Mary, this act of Mary. Again, it wasn't the act itself, right? It was the heart of Mary for him, right? That throughout all time they would hear her story and they would learn, I believe, of her expression of gratitude and her expression of love. Gratitude, think about it. Her brother Lazarus had died and Jesus had raised him from the dead. That's pretty pretty good thing to give thanks for. Right? She's in the moment literally, oh Jesus. Here's my act done with gratitude, done with, a, uh, with affection, right? Gratitude in the heart of thankfulness. She was crushed. Jesus spoken in the moment, brought healing. And her act was one of worship, birth out of thankfulness for the powerful move of Jesus in her, in her family's life. Gratitude for the movement of Jesus in her life. The movement of Jesus caused gratitude, thankfulness, and this unbelievable expression of it. We see the second thing is love, love. It wasn't the act itself, again, that impacted Jesus. It was the wholehearted affection behind it, the sacrifice, the fearlessness, the humility. She literally received, like the martyr, like, go ahead, go ahead, walks in. There's all these men, and she, who've already ridiculed her in the past, and she walks in, right, and she takes this, 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 
this jar of nard, of, of, of oil, of perfume, right? And she breaks it and goes, oh, how many of you know that you're going to hear people whisper in a very small room? And you hear the whispers. And she hears the, she looks over and sees the eyes like this, right? What, 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 what? No, no, right? And Jesus is looking at it with compassion. There's this wisdom revelation even happening in the moment of receiving this heart of affection from her, right? And she just, she expresses it, the sacrifice, the fearlessness, and the humility of coming and showing gratitude and love for Jesus. Wisdom and revelation. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, it's challenging, challenging me all week. I'm hearing the reverberation and the echoes of Paul's words throughout history for us. Pray for wisdom and revelation to make God fully. And Mary, she's in this moment, she has this wisdom, and this revelation, and a knowledge of Jesus that's even different than his own disciples. They're missing the moment. She's fully engaged in it. She has this dynamic. She's batting a thousand, this dynamic of relationship with Jesus, this intimacy, this type of knowledge that probably everyone in that room was longing for themselves, right? She had a wisdom and revelation. And I'm, pr- I'm praying, God, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, Jesus, right? That causes me to, to act and to give you my very best and to show and express a heart of gratitude and of love. And the questions that we want to leave with this morning are this. Number one, do you have wisdom and revelation from God that has caused you to respond with your best? In every moment of every day, is your response to Jesus and even your thought process about Jesus secondary? Or is your thought process, right, and, and, and the knowledge and this idea of, of knowing Jesus, is it, is it the primary thing? And then do you respond by giving him the best? Do you give him the best of your life, the best of your time? Do you give him the best of your time, the best of your energies, the best of your money, the best of your resources? They here pulled up all of their money and gave the best that they could find the most costly treasure. What's the most costly treasure thing that God's that you can give to Jesus again, not to earn something from him and not even to prove anything. Like, how many of you know, there, there are moments when your children, they come and they, they give you something. Or, may I said it earlier, like men, women, when, when your husband literally, they come and they, they give you flowers for no reason. And your heart just begins to be a little faster and you fall all, all in love with them all over again. And he's like, well, I just gave you some flowers. What's the big deal, right? But there's something that happens inside of you, right? He's not trying to earn something. He's just expressing That's what's happening here, right? This wisdom revelation from God that causes us to respond with our best. And number two, do you have a wisdom and revelation from God that causes you to express gratitude and love in such a way that it literally touches the heart of God like Mary? Do you express, do you live in a place of gratitude and the thankfulness that defines your life in such a way that as you express that, It touches the heart of God. Not that you're proving anything. It's just he loves, like Mary, this is the expression of our love for him. Let's pray. Father, we we stand in this moment. And Father, we recognize that... uh, that you were holy. And God, we recognize with Paul 
but it's imperative that we pray and ask for your wisdom and your revelation, your investment, your engagement, your moving, God. We need every day for a new layer of who you are to be peeled back and expressed in our lives so we can grow in our knowledge of you. God, we need wisdom, applied knowledge. God, we, we know you, but God, we, we want to know you in such a way that, that empowers every moment of our life to live victorious in our life with you. God, we want to be a people who so experientially connect with you. God, who have an intimate acquaintance, Lord, like Mary and Simon and Lazarus and Martha, that it causes us, it propels us out of desire of our own hearts to give you our best. God, that in knowing you, in knowing you and being acquainted with you, Jesus, that, God, we are compelled to love you and express that heart of affection towards you, not to earn something. Maybe not even as work. It's just a simple outflow of our heart. Lord, this morning I pray, Jesus, for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that, God, we may know you fully every day of our life. Father, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.